Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, November 28th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and a new survey from Universal. Then in our main segment, Jim finishes up the history of when McDonald's proposed a new attraction for Disneyland. Let's get started by bringing in the man who always sets two wake-up alarms, one for the person he wants to be and one for the person he is. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. And by the way, a pointless bit of trivia to start off this week's show. The first American alarm clock was actually invented here in my home state, New Hampshire. A Levi Hutchins invented it back in 1787. And he only made it for himself, though. And, and yeah, I was going to say, was, it, was he the least popular guy in the colony? <laughs> Well, given that it only rang at four o'clock in the morning, yes, I say yes. Not the strategy you want to use when you're trying to get get through those first pilgrim winters, Jim. <laughs> no, 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 no. But on the other hand, if if your neighbors, you know, when they hear the alarm go off, throw firewood at you, hey, you know, you don't have to go out and collect kindling. Exactly. So maybe he was smarter than all of us. <laughs> it could be. Could be. And speaking of smarter than all of us, Jim, let's thank subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Max Falvey, James Vasquez, Tay Dish, and Adam Fortner. And longtime subscribers Elvin Torres, Jim Burmeister, and Mike DBO 523 Jim, these are the folks now in line to head various Disney theme park divisions, such as the Cabinet of Haunted Mansion Overlay Ideas, the Department of How Much Candy We Can Stuff in a Halloween Bag, and Churro Acquisition North America. True story. I have questions, Len. <laughs> you know, but- well, yeah, I mean, I know you're wondering about the Churro Acquisition EMEA region, of course, but uh, but that one's already filled. <laughs> Damn. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, a couple of news, mostly holiday-related, but one not. Mm -hmm. Takumi Tei returns to Epcot's Japan Pavilion, which is great news for everyone who likes that cuisine. It's also got a $250 omakase, which is Chef's Choice menu. I like this place quite a bit, Jim. Did you try it? Not yet, but I remember you being quite enthusiastic about the place. So it, this is a happy bit of news that it's coming back. It was, and it uh, follows on the heels of the high-end Monsieur Paul reopening in France. I'm a little concerned about a $250 tasting menu for Japan. My other big concern here is I love this place. Like I thought it was very good for what it was. I'm not sure that the average theme park visitor was as enthused as I was, given the price. Um, when it last opened, uh, readers had given it an 80% thumbs up on 137 reviews. That is well below average, Jim. And I think the uh, I think the price has everything to do with that because you really can't complain about the food quality there. Let's see what the latest incarnation does. So. That's what I think. I think now that the word is out, the, the people who are going there know what they, what they want and know what they're getting into. So I expect better things, uh, better survey reviews. Also, Jim, uh, holiday overlays are installed for Epcot's Festival of the Holidays. Uh, there's mm-hmm. an overlay on the outside of Spaceship Earth. There is the traditional Christmas decorations inside the Living with the Land boat ride. And Guardians of the Galaxy has a new holiday overlay. And Jim... Our intrepid field reporter, my nine-year-old niece, Gigi, was the first guest today 
to experience mm-hmm. the new Guardians of the Galaxy overlay. She managed to mm-hmm. uh, squeeze through the door because she's nine uh, mm-hmm. ahead of other bloggers and, and uh, social media people and mm-hmm. ran down the corridor and got on the ride first. She said the uh, new soundtrack includes a medley of Christmas songs, so not one song per ride. That's new. Hmm. Uh, and has favorites such as Run Run Rudolph. Uh, the other hand, she's nine, so our knowledge of the Yuletide canon, Jim, not uh, <laughs> not as extensive as it will be. So I couldn't get any more songs out of her. She's going to try and write again and see what else is there. Oh, how cool. Oh, yeah, first person right. to ever experience the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday overlay. I'd, I'd put that on a resume. I would. <laughs> <laughs> These days, particularly, that would qualify her for an executive position at Twitter. <laughs> might, actually. Uh, last bit of uh, holiday news: All of the Magic Kingdom's mm-hmm. Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party dates are now sold out. So, uh, if you're planning on going, uh, scalping is now your friend. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, we've got time to do uh, surveys. Our friends uh, Jim Martin and Kathy and Sean Evans both sent in screen caps from a new Universal Orlando survey, asking how familiar you are with various TV and movie franchises, and Jim, more interestingly, what you do with them in a theme park. So here's some of the franchises mentioned. Despicable Me, which Universal already has. Pokemon, Bob's Burgers, Shrek, again, already there. Minecraft. And then jumping from Minecraft, Jim, to Mad Max. Stranger Things, uh, Tom and Jerry. You know, you you got to wonder if the if the survey people were high as they were doing this. Like, we're, are we just flipping channels here and saying, like, what's on? Hunger Games, The Office, and Princess Bride. No, yeah, no, my my original assertion still holds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so once you select uh, the franchises that you are most familiar with, Jim, here's where Universal gets into more detail. In the next section, we'd like you to imagine a world-class theme park was bringing one of the intellectual properties you just saw to life as a theme planter area. And we want you to describe your expectations for this land in as much detail as possible. So the first question is, where are you? Please list any environments, geography, landmarks, buildings, and or rooms that come to mind. So in this particular case, somebody, uh, I think it was Jim, had mm-hmm. mentioned uh, Princess Bride. So he's like, yes! I'm, I'm in the, pr- the pit of despair. I'm at Humperdinck's <laughs> Castle. I'm at Magic Max Hut. I'm in the woods, right? And, oh. and, and so that's what he described. Then the next question was, what items, objects, or artifacts do you see that are unique to this land? How, if at all, do you interact with them? So here, Universal's thinking, like, what's the next wand, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Great question. What would that be for Princess Bride? Is there, are there objects or artifacts? Jeez. What is it? The chocolate-covered pill that brings you back to life? Yeah, but don't go swimming for an hour after right. you take it. Well, it's funny you mention that because the, the very next question is, what foods and or drinks are available <laughs> in this land that you couldn't uh, find anywhere else? And of course, uh, the poison would have to be one of them, right? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Oh. The next uh, question is, uh, what merchandise can you buy here that is mm-hmm. exclusive to this land? Wow. You don't normally see companies that run giant theme parks handing the steering wheel right. to guests. Tell us what you'd want to see. Right. So that my, my thoughts when I read this survey, and again, thanks uh, uh, Jim and Sean and Kathy for sending it in. Mm-hmm. My thoughts when, look, when reading the survey is one of two things. They either wanted to confirm the ideas that they already had for these rides. Like, you know, we think that the Pit of Despair is, you know, perfect for a themed land. Let's see how many people mention it. Or 
um, they're throwing spaghetti against the wall and want to see what sticks. I don't think you're wrong here, but some of these, I mean, for example, The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there isn't there a chili gag in The Office? I've never never seen it. I know I'm I'm a a terrible human being who doesn't understand culture. I've never seen The Office. Uh, Yeah. You know, wonderful sitcom, but again, mostly built around a lot of cubicles and people's looking frustrated. And it's just sort of like, yeah, okay, here's my 140 bucks. Let me into that theme park. (laughs) I think if they do a Princess Bride, then if your VIP tour starts there, the introduction should be, hello, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. (laughs) The other questions, does this land offer any unique activities? If so, describe what they are. And uh, what kind of rides, if any, are there? How, if at all, are they themed? Hmm. Great questions. Really, really interesting. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And But when you look at what they threw out there, you know, for example, you uh, sort of sparked a Minecraft, likewise Pokemon yeah. in the gaming space. You know, with Super Nintendo World looming in Hollywood, and right. obviously, you know, a key component of Epic Universe, just kind of fascinating to see that those are on the table. And what would you want with those if we brought those into the park? I mean, I get the Bob's Burgers ideas, but it, that seems to me a little too like the Simpsons land. Yeah. Yeah. And also kind of interesting that that's out there at all, given that this is one of the properties that Disney acquired when it purchased those film and, and television elements from, from Fox. Right. Likewise, you know, just the fact that, you know, oh, let's go to the Hunger Games restaurant. You know, I'm sure there's a lot to eat there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's some stuff there that would you would almost have to play it as a humor or parody. Yeah, that you would. That yeah. you would. But still, great questions. I'd love to see. Mm-hmm. If anybody else got this uh, survey, let me know how you, how you answered this. I'd love to read some of the, uh, some of the ideas. All right, to Jim, on to listener questions. Uh, one from Keith, who says, I just want to make a couple of corrections to what you guys were saying about Mickey's Kitchen and McDonald's. Mm-hmm. This is in a previous show. First, you said that uh, Schaumburg, the location of the second Mickey's Kitchen in the Woodfield mm-hmm. Mall, was northeast of Chicago. Uh, it's actually northwest, as northeast of the city is mostly wet. Ah, there's a great lakes joke. That's great. Ooh, <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> Second, uh, you said that uh, McDonald's was based in Oak Park, while a suburb of Chicago is not the home of McDonald's. Uh, it's Oak Brook. There we go. Coincidentally, I Wood- corrected. All right. Coincidentally, mm-hmm. Woodfield Mall later became home to one of the two, I think, doorway to dream stores in which Disney sold DVC memberships and had full-scale mock-ups of the rooms built inside the store. So, Jim, what I'm hearing from Keith here mm-hmm. and you is that if you want to see what Disney's going to do next – you moved to Chicago, or at least visit the malls. Actually, I mean, there were so many things that Disney did. We got you know the first Disney Quest after mm-hmm. the one at, at Pleasure Island or, or Downtown Disney, Chicago. Uh, likewise, that was also they got one of the ESPN restaurants there. There is so much stuff that Disney has definitely kicked the tires on in, in Chicago. In Chicago, amazing. Why Chicago? I mean, I guess it's it's representative of literally, it's probably the middle of America, literally and figuratively. When you think about what a feeder market Chicago is for both the West Coast for both Disneyland. coasts, yeah, 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 yeah. and, and it's cheaper likewise, than New York. yeah, yeah. Okay, so. now it makes sense. Thank you, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the story of when McDonald's proposed a new attraction 
for Disneyland. We'll be right back. We left off on our last show saying that McDonald's franchisees were upset with management that they had let Disney get away from marketing agreements and Disney went over to Burger King and did fantastic business for Burger King and a number of hits in the early to mid 1990s. What happened next? Friend of the show, Jim Shul, who actually spent some time at Oak Brook working with the folks at McDonald's and just talked about how, you know, when you talk with the folks at McDonald's, they were like, look, half of our business is people coming up to the drive through window. Yeah. And what powers whether or not mom in her minivan decides to go through the drive through at McDonald's or Burger King is the kids in the backseat. And yep. they largely vote on, well, you know, I mean, a burger's a burger. But who's got the best toy that week? Right. So folks at McDonald's were, were just killing themselves over the fact that Burger King had made this deal with Disney during the time when Disney feature animation was on fire. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. And so in 1994, as Lion King is becoming this giant thing, franchisees turn to McDonald's management and just like, make this deal. I don't yeah. care what you do, make this deal. Unfortunately, this is a kind of a tough time to get people's attention at Disney because in a very short window of time, April of 1994, uh, Frank Wells, the much beloved president of the Disney company, dies tragically in a helicopter crash yeah. in Elko County, Nevada. Then just like six, eight weeks later, Michael Eisner is rushed in the hospital for emergency quadruple bypass surgery. Yeah. And then just over a month after that, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who at the time was the chairman of Disney Studios, is suddenly forced out, largely because Jeffrey had been pressuring Michael, which again, I want to remind you, guys recovering from open heart surgery. But it's like, you should name me Frank Wells' successor. I should be the, the president of the Walt Disney Company. And I've always heard that it was Jane Eisner who actually got Katzenberg fired. She was just furious that Jeffrey was putting all this pressure on her husband while he's recovering from heart surgery. And yeah. Eisner, well, then he, he's like you, you and I, who believe strongly in the, that old adage, happy wife, happy life. So it's exactly. like, yes, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> goodbye, Jeffrey. Because he didn't, he didn't even last a year. Oh, no, no, he was there, uh, no, a solid decade. He came in late 84, early 85, and he thought he'd earned the job that, right, you know, and right. with Frank gone. But two months after he leaves Disney, October 12, 1994, Steven Spielberg, David Geffen, and Jeffrey Katzenberg announced they are forming DreamWorks Pictures. And that company's mission statement basically was to take on the Walt Disney Company. And Len, I remember talking with a, a senior VP at Warner Brothers about this same time when, when DreamWorks is getting up out of the ground. And his take on the whole situation, which again, Katzenberg forms a brand new entertainment conglomerate just to go after his old boss at Disney. It's like, yeah. revenge is never a good business plan. <laughs> exactly. Where do you go from the, yeah, what's step two yeah. in your plan, right? That's That's the question I always ask people, yeah. So anyway, a lot going on at Disney in the mid-90s, and here's McDonald's, fall of 94, winter of 95, trying to get Disney's attention, open negotiations. But at the same time, here's Disney in March of 95, crowing about because Lion King toys sold so well the previous year. Yeah. 
Disney can now get even higher royalty fees out of manufacturers who want to sell Pocahontas toys. And again, they're getting killed at the drive-thru. And so, and franchisees, again, fix our relationship with Disney. I don't care what you do, do it. When you go through the drive-thru, you're not only ordering for the child, you're ordering something for yourself. Because I don't Mm -hmm. care who you are, I don't care how much willpower you have, you know, the smell of a McDonald's french fry is not something that you can resist. It's just not, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I get it. So it's not just the kids meal, you know, the the $4 kids meal or whatever it was in 1994. It's you're basically Mm -hmm. feeding the entire family at McDonald's that night. And so McDonald's has to do something to get Disney's attention. They they have no negotiating leverage here. (laughs) No, no. So they they (laughs) put – a deal on the table that you can see from space. It just say, be gentle with me. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I mean, it, it is just startling, Len. It's a 10-year-long, multi-divisional, multinational arrangement that yeah. where for every year, for a solid decade, all of the McDonald's restaurants in North America, and at this point, Len, there are over 18,000 of them, yeah. will then promote 12 different Disney-related properties annually. So we're talking animated films, live action features, TV shows, video releases, and the Disney theme parks. And Len, there were only 12 months in a year. Right. So that means with promising that they're going to use their Happy Meals and, and in-store restaurants to promote 12 different Disney properties every single year for a decade, there's no room for McDonald's to promote any, any other Anything thing. else. Any, anything else. Yeah. Nothing else. They might carve out like a couple of weeks just for like the Monopoly game, but but, <laughs> but that's it. If that, you know, and, and even then, I, so if I remember the McDonald's uh, Monopoly game at that point folded in prices that included trips to Walt Disney World. Oh, so the, right. Oh, yeah. Why not? There yeah. we go. So anyway, what's interesting, as soon as Disney's promotional agreement with McDonald's happens, Burger King immediately cuts a deal with DreamWorks. And, you know, that's it. <laughs> so you got to give them points. But top of the show, you mentioned that one of the things here that that really made Disney sit up and take notice is that Mm -hmm. McDonald's was going to offer to sponsor an attraction at the Disney theme parks. Now, mind you, again, if you remember from our earlier shows in the series, that they were supposed to sponsor Splash Mountain at Disneyland. There were some construction-related delays, and the Southland franchisees pulled out, and and that didn't happen. But this time around, it's like, okay, we will sponsor an attraction, but we want some assurances that we're not going to have the same issues. There's not going to be cost overruns. Mm -hmm. We want something that's tried and true and tested. (laughs) Have you met Joe (laughs) Rohde? Meet Joe Rody. He will take care of you. <laughs> because of the term and condition that they laid down about tried and true, right. that meant that the dinosaur ride for Animal Kingdom. No! Go ahead. There we go. I mean, again, for Are years. Are you saying, people- Jim Hill, that <laughs> the reason why the dinosaur ride in the Animal Kingdom has the same ride track layout and operational scheme as the Indiana Jones adventure in Disneyland is because of McDonald's. That ride opened in March of 95 and was hugely popular and, and, and literally you know, road tested. And this was a term and condition going into it. So hold on. Let me see if I understand this correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Kids choosing happy meals based on toys mm-hmm. led to the, the ride we got called Dinosaur in the Animal Kingdom. <laughs> this, is, this is like one of those connections 
uh, TV series in the on the BBC. Like, <laughs> no one is more su- surprised than I. But seriously, this was the thing: the the, the, the <sighs> McDonald's folks wanted, you know. I, They're again, like, yeah, we're not going to do this again. We want you. Know, you've done this before. I get it. I totally get it. Wow. Mind you, Len, this wasn't the only term and condition of the deal. I mean, the yeah. other one, for example, was that McDonald's wanted Disney to formally abandon its Mickey's Kitchen effort, the, the fast food chain that Keith was just talking about. Okay. This was such a dumb thing for McDonald's to do because if they'd actually been paying attention – Disney had shut down the only two prototype Mickey's kitchens back in 92. Still, you want to make sure it's dead, you put a stake through its heart. Well, no, 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 I get that. I get that. And the other thing is McDonald's also wanted the rights to build some some standalone McDonald's on Disney property, as well as offer popular McDonald's food items like Chicken McNuggets and Big Macs at select Disney theme park restaurants. Let me pause here, Jim, by saying to all of our listeners who are – uh, playing this episode during lunchtime, Uber Eats probably has a fantastic deal on Big Macs right now. I think, I think honestly, God, I think there's a two for one deal for Big Macs going on in Uber Eats right now. If you're if you're hungry, and I know you'll be, there's nothing wrong with a Big Mac. I will I will accept no blasphemy from anyone. There's nothing wrong with a Big Mac. Okay, okay. <laughs> Disney and McDonald's lawyers are hashing out this deal, but at the same time, Michael Eisner, at the insistence of his wife Jane is asking that the quick service restaurants in the Disney parks now begin offering heart-healthy fare. Turkey burgers, salad, veggie dogs, non-fat yogurt, spaghetti with meatless sauce, and fruit plates. I remember these. I remember these getting getting tested. Yeah. And wasn't that like the, around the type of the McDLT? It was like, here's some lettuce, here's some tomatoes. <laughs> it's a fresh... All right, we'll have to go back and look here. Next thing you're going to tell me is the McDLT ended up getting us the Grand Floridian Villas or something. I I can't handle that today, Jim. (laughs) No, no, no. It's another time, Len. Another story. All All right. Deal finally gets hashed out, formally announced May of 96, effective January of 97. McDonald's and Disney now joined at the hip, at least from a commercial point of view. Downside, Len, feature animation is now on something of a cold streak. It's not churning out Lion King-sized hits. It's now doing films like Hunchback and Hercules, which, yep. uh, for whatever reason, are, are now having trouble connecting with audiences. Wait, but wait, Jim, on the horizon, what is that? Is that John Lasseter? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Toy Story, Monsters, Inc. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> Pixar was there to pick up the slack. But now I'd like to pivot to talk about the restaurants that actually got built on property. Like, take, for example, that one that was built uh, downtown Disney. It mm-hmm. was called Ronald's Funhouse. It actually had a, a name, making it different from the, the others in the chain. Opened December of 97, and Len immediately became one of the top five restaurants for the entire fast food chain and in regard to food traffic. and five. Top five. Do you know what and, that takes with 18,000 restaurants uh, to well, be in the top five? Well, think about this. The next set will blow your mind. It also wound up in the top 1% in the world when it came to sales volume. Insane. By the way, a similarly popular McDonald's. Uh, this one, the outside was festooned with uh, Happy Meal characters, but yeah. that opened on West Buena Vista Drive in 98, just outside of the security cave. <sighs> Jim. For Disney's All Star, I know that this was an exceedingly busy uh, McDonald's because at, at one point it went, I think, twenty four hours, 
And I was getting into the All-Stars driving in at one point, getting in like two or three o'clock in the morning. And in the course of me sitting there and eating my Happy Meal or whatever I was eating, right? Mm-hmm. There was a constant stream of people. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon, Jim, but mm-hmm. it was two o'clock in the morning. Every seat yeah. was filled. Like there were mm-hmm. there were McDonald's employees running around having to empty the trash cans because they were filling up so fast from the volume of people who were eating at that McDonald's at two o'clock in the morning, Jim. It was insane. But again, this is one of the reasons why McDonald's really, really wanted to make this deal. And and oh, never yeah. mind the stuff that was actually inside the park. Because again, 1998, spring, we get Restaurantosaurus, which has Chicken McNuggets and uh, McDonald's French fries. On the West Coast in November of that same year, we got the first Conestoga fries. Yep. Uh, this was built along Big Thunder Trail and had deliberately been designed to look like one of the uh, wagons guests used to ride in when they experienced Nature's Wonderland at that park. Then the Disneyland Conestoga fries was so popular, Magic Kingdom said, we want one of those. Yep. So East Coast gets a fry cart like that in 99. Do you remember the design of this one? It was literally, you know, it was a design to look like a Conestoga wagon had been broken down and trapped in the mud. Yep, because it was uh, yeah, the, there were ruts uh, st- stuck in there. But the uh, the location here was great for a couple of reasons. One is mm. if you're walking from Adventureland to mm. Splash Mountain, which was a, was a popular ride, you know, it yeah. still was a popular mm. ride in Big Thunder Mountain too, right? Mm. You would go by Tortuga Tavern, which mm. if it was closed, meant there was no other food option, and you'd round that corner and go through the the Adventureland Frontierland Arch, and all of a sudden hit that McDonald's fry smell. Mm. And again, Jim, I'm a strong man with tons of willpower, mm. but I am not that strong. I'm not made of stone, Jim. <laughs> Many a time, Jim, when I was working in the parks doing, mm. my, uh, doing my thesis, I would stop mm-hmm. for a quick fry break. And you hit on the exact thing that made this one work. It was on a major thoroughfare yeah. with two giant, hugely popular rides just ahead. We have Big Thunder and Splash Mountain. So when it came time to do the same thing at Disney Hollywood Studios, what did they do? They, they went to Sunset Ranch Market and mm-hmm. actually added a, a new restaurant there, the Fairfax Fries. Right on the corner, right on the corner, right? There you go. And it was one of these things where it's like, again, you had Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster yeah. drawing people that deep down in the park. And again, the smell of the fries, they couldn't resist it. I got to give them credit. You, mm-hmm. you know what McDonald's says is the secret of a successful mm-hmm. franchise, right? Location, location, location. There we go. There yeah. we go. Genius here. I mean, this. there's some people are doing some thinking here. This was all great. All right, go ahead. But there's sometimes location, location, it doesn't work. I, you know, in, in Take, for example, Disney's California Adventure, which when it opened in 2001, you couldn't pay Californians to go into. And so- <laughs> Not re- not really McDonald's' problem with it. Well, this is true, but they, they the this walks, was yeah. what was frustrating for them is they had built the Burger Invasion down in Paradise Pier, and this was the one place in the Disney parks where you could not only get fries and chicken McNuggets, but they were also selling Big Macs. Now, mind you, if we go over to Disneyland proper in the Harbor Gallery, the little quick service that you pass as you're going from the Haunted Mansion over to Splash Mountain, they're selling McDonald's uh, fries and and fountain drinks and again doing land off his business is that the only place that did the fountain drinks because listeners you know a mcdonald's coke hits differently 
yeah. than yeah. any other fountain Coke. Well, I want to say that the Conestoga fries up on Big Thunder Trail also offered beverages. But again, it, it, that was a thing. It was like literally, you know, the poor teenager trapped in a you know, yeah. like eight by 10 setup where it's like you've got the deep fat fryer and you've got the soda machine. <laughs> right. and it's like, Welcome to Florida. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I, th- I think, Jim, I think Jim, now is the time that we insert the ad for our sponsor for the show, Lipitor. Damn. <laughs> That's right. right. And it is so interesting. You mentioned that. I, again, this, this is a very lucrative, you know, arrangement for everybody. So so why, as this deal is is ending, it, is twilighting, you know, because January 2007 is coming, why didn't Disney re-up? And around early 2000s, suddenly there was a lot of talk about childhood obesity, and particularly mm-hmm. that the Americans' over-reliance on a, a fast food-based diet and how that was Im- impacting kids. I remember this. Remember, yeah. remember when this was like the big controversy? In parks. Yeah. It, it lingered for like a year or so. Oh, Jim, those were the days. But the folks at Disney sort of like, all right, we probably need to make the hard call here. Yeah. So Disney initially tried to distance itself from McDonald's by talking about how they'd be changing the menus at their, their state-state theme parks. they they offering items with reduced calories, less fat and sugar. Right. Also, the, the PR team talked about how the Disney parks would make a concerted effort to offer healthier alternatives, cut back on fast food offers, which that kind of means that we can't continue on with McDonald's. So yeah. that deal runs out in early 2007. But after making that very public break, very quietly over the past 15 years – Disney and McDonald's have gotten back in bed together. Now, back in February, March of this year, they had a Stitch-based promotion. May of June of this year, they were celebrating Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. June or July, you could get Happy Meal Toys featuring characters from Pixar's Lightyear. July and August, Thor Love and Thunder. Then in September, October of this year, uh, they were doing toys related to the Cars on the Road limited series that Pixar did for Disney+. Plus. And right now, in fact, supposedly starting this weekend, they will be offering Black Panther Wakanda Forever toys. And uh, all right, that's not the 12 movies that, no, that you know. That, that, that's 11 months, though, Jim. <laughs> that's six different Disney-related properties being pushed this year. So I find that kind of interesting because, you know, the conventional wisdom is, oh, well, Disney and McDonald's have stopped doing business. So no, they have none. I mean, mm. let's be honest here. The, the operations in the parks uh, got phased out in 2007-2008. You take, for example, that supersized McDonald's in downtown Disney. That closed in the, the late 2000s and then came back as a, a dual fast food operation, the uh, Polo Camperos and Fresh Appeal. I remember uh, doing the review for Pollo Campero, and that was one of the first reviews I did for uh, for the unofficial guide. Yeah, Fresh Appeal, mm-hmm. was, was it drinks? Smoothies? I want to say yes. That part of it changed hands a couple of different times. Yeah. Um, on the the other hand, uh, the McDonald's you were talking about earlier, the the, the the one right by the security gate for the All Star. It just got a huge redo. Well, that's I'm so glad you brought that up. Closed in uh, back in October 2019, mm-hmm. reopened in July of the following year. Came back as the first McDonald's on the planet. Yeah. To generate enough renewable energy right there on okay. site. Yeah, I was going to mention the solar panels on the roof. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. They, they worked it in, so it's like a. It's sort of like a 
it's not mid-century modern, but it definitely mm-hmm. looks like a this is a modern home design of McDonald's. I mean, Chicago is known for its architecture, so you yep. would think that Chicago-based McDonald's when they're doing you know, when they're doing a one-off store mm-hmm. like this would bring in some architectural talent. And I got to say, it is not an it's not an unpleasant McDonald's to look at. It's it's snazzy. Yeah, it's definitely worth a look see if if only to check out the innovative design. I will bet that if the Magic Kingdom closes at midnight, that around twelve thirty, twelve forty five, Jim, there's a long line at the drive thru. I would bet um, money. You know what they should do though? And again, this gets back to the whole renewable energy thing. If they did a walking path, because there's not a sidewalk, if they yep. did a sidewalk from the All Star Resorts to the McDonald's, that would probably double traffic to that place because right now you um there is no sidewalk and you kind of go through the security thing and it's kind of not it's not great at night to walk on the you know the lawn it gets wet with dew and stuff like that it's not like Mm -hmm. a pleasant experience if they did like uh something to the mcdonald's from the all-star like they did from the grand floridian to the magic kingdom man that would be business right there Right there, right there. Jim, this is a great episode. I learned a lot. I just, I love the fact that, especially with this this new renewable energy McDonald's, you still see them doing innovative stuff on property. Because if we circle back to the Ronald McDonald House, what was fascinating about that is the folks at Oak Brook would Mm -hmm. deliberately bring stuff to that restaurant and try it out there. Like, Like, for example, the video panels that we now know in every McDonald's on the planet, really? they were first introduced there. No. Yep. This comes from our buddy, Mr. Shul, talked about how that was something that they talked with the Imagineers about. Yeah. They deliberately brought into the restaurant and they watched in-store sales go through the roof because people yeah. would be standing there in line and suddenly see an item being pushed and like, oh, I want one of those as well. Yeah, it's just it's just easier to upsell and you um, you can say yes without feeling guilty or you can say no without the personal interaction of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So sales went up. I didn't know that. I've, I've talked to Jim about it before, but I didn't no. know. Well, that's super interesting. No, it's, it, again, you know, just I just I love that McDonald's is still doing innovative stuff on Disney property, yeah. but more to the point that I can still get my fries and my Coke. So exactly. <laughs> I, we, I know what we're having for lunch, Jim. I just there know we it. go. There we go. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. Great job, Jim. Mm-hmm. No you can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, it's the 121st anniversary of Walt Disney's birthday, and we'll be talking about all the ways Disney has celebrated this event over the years. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be showing this year's cultivars of climbing Mademoiselle Cecil Bruner and Mr. Lincoln Roses at the 2023 Orangeburg Festival of Roses, May 6th and 7th, 2023, at the Edisto Memorial Gardens in beautiful downtown Orangeburg, South Carolina. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.